Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. All right, good job, everyone. Good morning. <clears throat> Welcome to Save the Cowboy. Thanks for coming this morning. Uh, voice is still a little raspy and I got that nasal whine so you're gonna have to listen to me whine today but feeling a lot better uh, about Wednesday I figured I was gonna make it Kevin was in about the same boat so so uh, we had a beautiful day today good crowd thanks for coming and and uh, sharing the word with us this morning um, I want to thank everybody who's helped with the the shop we finally got the the uh, outside exterior done uh, yesterday or mostly done um, and now we get to start working on the interior so um, appreciate everybody who's who's had a hand in that bless you uh, the sickness is going around everybody's either just had it has had it has had it now or is going to get it tomorrow so so uh, get ready so um, <coughs> when I was in high school um, we used to go and help everybody brand in the spring, and, and I remember one one spring we went to a branding, and I I took a two-year-old colt uh, and helped gather on him, but he wasn't ready to rope off us. So um, I think we branded at least 300 calves that day, and, and so I was on doing all the groundwork, and and it was you know, kind of a long and tedious day, and. And I kept thinking, man, I'd really like to rope because I'd been practicing pairing out cows and been healing those baby calves as we paired them out and just kind of setting traps under them and then letting them fall off. And I thought I was pretty good. Um, and so I'm like, yeah, why did I bring a colt? I really want to rope. And, and uh, so I'm, we're, we're probably through three-fourths of the calves. And, and uh, finally the cow boss come over to me and he said, hey, you want to rope? And I said, oh, I'd like to, but, but I can't rope off this colt. So... Uh, so he said, okay, and he walked away and, and wrestled a few more calves. And, and a little while later, another fella comes over to me and he says, hey, <clears throat> if you want a rope, you can go grab my bay horse. And that's all I heard. I mean, I was gone. I was off at a run. And I that's literally, because we're running out of calves to brand, and I wanted to get some roping in. So I trotting across this field and, and uh, there was a, Beautiful bay horse standing there hobbled. I mean, nice-looking horse. I grabbed him, pulled the hobbles off him, and he had a fancy silver bridle hanging on the saddle, and I put it on him, and I stepped on him and rode up to the to the Brandon fire, getting ready to ride into the pen, and, and everybody stopped and looked at me. And I'm like, wow, I must look really good on this pony because everybody is watching. <laughs> and it was deathly quiet. And... Uh, Behind me, I heard someone say, what are you doing on my horse? <laughs> Turn around. And it's not the, not the guy that had told me to go get his horse. And I'm like, what do you say? Because I had just committed the cardinal sin in, in cowboying, right? I'd, get, I'd stepped on someone else's horse without their permission. And you do not do that. <clears throat> and, and even worse is this guy was the best hand at the branding. I mean, this guy was handy, and his horse was handy. And I hadn't paid enough attention to tell the difference between two bay horses. And he said, get off my horse right now. Okay. And he came up, and he took the reins from my hand, and he led his horse away. And I'm standing there, and, and I don't know if I've ever felt more ashamed than that in my life. Um, 
And so I got to finish the day doing groundwork because, because uh, that's what happens when, when you do things like that. And I couldn't even hardly show my face when we, when we ate lunch after that. Um, and, and the guy was, the owner was, was nice. He did, he could have, he could have whipped on me and I thought he was gonna, I thought he was gonna whip me. And, uh, and I thought for sure I was going to get <laughs> severely verbally berated after that. But, but he was pretty cool about it. But uh, it was a good lesson in, in listening because I didn't take the time to listen. I just I heard one little thing. I heard what I wanted to hear, and I was gone. And it, and it cost me dearly because, it, you know, the, the one thing when you're, when you're young and, and you're learning, it, you want to be part of the crew. You want to be one of them. And I, I just couldn't wait to show them how good a roper I was so that I could fit in. And it backfired on me. I, I was the outcast that day. Kevin talked about outcast last week. Well, I was definitely the outcast that day. Um, <coughs> and so it started <coughs> started my journey with, with learning to listen. And that's what, that's what uh, the Bible also tells us to do, <coughs> is, to, is to listen. In Deuteronomy 5... Verse 1, this is Moses. Uh, Moses called all the people of Israel together and said, Listen carefully, Israel. Here are the decrees and regulations I am giving you today, so you may learn them and, and obey them. So Moses was, gonna, was going to present the new covenant, or the covenant that God had, had, had given him, and his job was to present it to the people, and, and that was the Ten Commandments. And he said three things. He said, Listen, learn, and obey. So I get to do a sermon series for the first time. Isn't this cool? I get I got I got three topics. <laughs> like Kevin, I get to be I got I get to be grown up today. So I'm gonna talk about the first topic today, which is listening. Um, now that was a that was the old covenant, but we're still in a new we're still in a covenant with God. It's just through Jesus Christ now. But the but the uh, message is still the same. We need to listen first, then learn, and then obey. <clears throat> How do we listen to God? Well, you're you're getting a good start this morning. Uh, when when you go to church, um, you have an option of of just spending time there, like checking it off, saying, "Okay, I I did that today. I'm good," or actually listening. When when Kevin is presenting God's word, he's a good teacher, um, and when he presents the word, we need to hear it. We need to listen and actually hear it because if we don't listen, then then we've just basically wasted our time in here today. Um, we need to be able to hear that word, and because because we can't do anything to change our lives if we don't hear it first. Um, we can listen when we read our Bible. If if you you know, when I was in college, I learned how to how to skim my textbooks. You know, you'd start with a full page and you'd just kind of skim through till till you saw a word that kind of stood out to you. And then, and and kind of ignore the rest. Um, I don't think that's a good way to read the Bible and, and have your mind somewhere else. When you when we read the Bible, we need to listen to what the words are saying. We need to hear them as as we're reading them, um, because that's how God speaks to us. Is through is through that word. Um, in in the in First Kings twenty, Elijah was was up on the mountain and. and God was going to speak to him, and and so Elijah was waiting for to hear God, but he and you can read it. I'm not going to read it all, but but he didn't hear God in in the wind or the earthquake or the fire, but he heard him in a whisper. Okay, and so God speaks to speaks to us in lots of different ways. Sometimes it is an earthquake. Sometimes it's like bonk. Okay, 
he hits you with the hammer. And it's pretty hard to ignore that, but, but a lot of times it's more of a subtle thing. It's a whisper. It's a, it's a thought that comes into your brain. And, and uh, if, if we're not in a mental place to be able to hear that, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss that entire message that, that would have benefited us, that would have brought us closer to him, that would have improved our lives and given us a blessing. Okay? We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. I've, I've always kind of ha- had a picture in the past of, of the Holy Spirit being external. Okay? Being out there and, and kind of talking down to me, and, and I needed to listen to that. But through, through Bible study and through Kevin's help and through prayer, I realized that, that what the Bible tells us, that the Holy Spirit, when we, when we accept Christ in our lives, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. It's inside. It's not external anymore. It's internal. The Holy Spirit is in us right now, inside. And that, that was really profound to me because I feel like I can hear the Holy Spirit a lot more when, when he's right in here and right in here, okay, talking to me. And, and that's, that's uh, you know, the Holy Spirit guides us, and, and he sort of warns us when trouble's coming. He sort of maybe whispers in our ear and, and, and our conscience tells us, well, maybe this isn't what I should be doing, or maybe this is what I should be doing. And it's very wise to learn to heed that. Um, as you heard from my earlier story, I'm not the greatest listener. Um, but I'm learning to listen to that, to that uh, voice inside me that, that is from the Holy Spirit. In Revelations 2, 7, it says, Anyone with hear- ears must hear. Sorry, I'm going to start over. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So to everyone who is victorious in listening to the Spirit, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. That's a pretty good promise. Okay? That's, that's probably worthwhile to kind of open up the ear canal, dig the wax out, and, uh, and, and try to hear what the Spirit's saying to us. So, as always, when we're when we're not sure what we should do, we we probably should uh, follow Jesus' example. It's always a, usually a pretty good step. Okay, what did Jesus do in in Mark? <coughs> pardon me. In Mark four, verse three, he's, Jesus is telling about the parable of the four soils, and I'm sure you've all heard that. You can read it, um, but he starts his story with one word. Listen, okay? Sounds just like your mom, right? Listen, because something profound is going to happen after that. And then he tells the parable, and guess how he ends it? Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So I see quite a few ears out here today. Um, so we all have ears, and, and so he says anyone with ears should listen and, and hear. Some have bigger ears, which they should probably be listening better. Some have smaller, might have to work a little harder. But... Uh, when Jesus tells us listen, it might be a it might be wise to to listen to him. John backs this up and he says in John ten, this is Jesus talking. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Are we are we God's children? Are we are we followers of Jesus? Because he says his sheep will listen. If if we're not listening, which I know a lot of us are guilty of, if we're not listening, are we really his sheep or are we you know, are we in that bunch of goats over there that, that I, don't, I don't know if Gerald's here today. I don't want to cut down goats too bad. We've got some goat ranchers around that. But uh, if we're in his flock, 
we're supposed to listen. We can actually hear him if we're in his flock. If you can't hear Jesus, uh, maybe get to work on, on getting in the right band of sheep. <clears throat> I really like this little, this little warning in Hebrews. Hebrews 2.1. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. That's, that's probably the most important thing is if we don't listen, we start drifting away. We, if we don't hear the truth in, in God's word, we start going away from it. And when we start drifting away, all of a sudden we're, uh, we're lost. And, and we see it all the time in the church and ministry. The truth is hard to hear sometimes. It's hard to listen to the truth. But if we, if we, if we aren't listening and, and don't understand that, we tend to say, oh, that's not for me. Uh, that, that's, that truth isn't for me. And, and we drift away and we go somewhere else where, where, maybe, where maybe they say something different. Maybe the truth isn't so apparent. So be careful. Don't drift away. And, and last, in, in John, First <coughs> John 4, Verse 4, but you, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. This is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. So when we talk, and when I say we, I'm talking about the, the children of Jesus Christ. When we talk, we know. When we talk to people, if they don't listen to what we say, we know. It says right here that, that they don't have the spirit in them, that they have the spirit of deception, not the spirit of truth. <clears throat> when we talk to each other, we have to listen because that is, a, that is a telltale sign of whether we're truly believers of Jesus. And there's a lot of wisdom in this room, a lot of wisdom. Um, I have all these... These, this proof of wisdom right here, okay? It's hard-earned, and I'm not the wisest person in this room by a long stretch, but it's coming. And uh, when, when we talk to each other, it's important that we listen. Um, most of my marital problems that I've had in the past have been because I truly didn't listen to my wife. I didn't hear what, what, what she said. I was kind of like at the branding. I heard the first three words, and then I jumped into action. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. <coughs> God tells us to, to get still, get quiet, close our yapper, and listen, and profound things will happen. So my prayer for this, for this ministry and all you great people out there is, is that we become good listeners. We open our ears up, and, and we, we take that first step in listening, learning, and obeying, and, and, uh, and becoming great listeners. I'm going to pray. God, please open our ears this morning so that we can hear Kevin's message through you. As that anyone with ears out here would, would learn to listen to you through, through your earthquakes and through your fires and through your whisper and through your spirit and, and, and through Jesus Christ and your word, that we would actually hear the truth and that we would then be able to go forth and, and, uh, and speak it to others ask your blessing on this ministry and especially Kevin and his family as, as we move forward and in doing your work. I love each and every one of the people in this room and I know you love them and I know that your spirit dwells within them, not not just outside but right inside them and, and uh, just pray that the Holy Spirit is active in all of us as we move forth in, in doing your work. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. <coughs> Using this one today.
sermon series. You're all grown up. You're all grown up now. I'm so proud. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Save the Cowboys, a sick pen for sinners, not a show ring for saints. You've heard me say it over and over and over and over and over, and you'll keep hearing me say it over and over and over and over and over. So welcome. Welcome. It's, uh, I, as, as Robert likes to say, I, I got rid of the plague. I still got a little bit of after effects, but I, I don't think I'm contagious anymore. So uh, if I ever was, but I know, like Ty said, a bunch of y'all been sick and it's that time of year. So anyway, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark and Luke. We'll be in Mark and Luke today. So uh, much to the chagrin of many people that were here last week, this is how I ended last week's sermon. All I could remember was how much my nose was itching and there was nothing I could do about it. I wondered if I would get in trouble if I leaned forward and rubbed my nose on the cage that separated me from the officer who was saying, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be held against you in a court of law. Why was I being arrested? Well, we have to go back about four hours <laughs> for being a Texan, yes. Uh, we got to go back about three or four hours. Uh, we left my hometown of Big Lake and traveled about 30 or 40 miles in another direction for the sake of the second service live stream. I will not say which direction we were headed, but we headed about 30 or 40 miles in another direction to go to a dance. And uh, I was the designated driver that night. And uh, we needed designated drivers, okay? I mean, uh, the, the, some of the people that I used to hang around with, they didn't, they didn't take their libations uh, uh, lightly, if you know what I mean. So I, I volunteered to be the designated driver, and so I didn't have a drop to drink, and we get to the dance, and we wasn't there 15 minutes. And I saw a buddy of mine, and he's dancing with this girl, and he had had a problem with another guy not too long before that and you know how those things get towns close by Kiowa Elbert or you, you know how that goes right and uh young guys alcohol dancing girls one of those things so I'm standing there with a Dr. Pepper right and I happen to look out and I see this guy walk towards my friend who's dancing with a cute little girl and he's just dancing, and that guy goes up behind my buddy and hits him in the back of the head. And the first thing his head does is hit that girl right in the nose, and her nose just explodes. And it happens from me to Robert, just right in front of me, but it happens too quick for me to stop it. It does not take me long to cover three steps. I don't even really remember doing it, but I, I took three steps and his arm was still outstretched and I picked him up by the chin and stuck my little old hip out and I drove his head, head first into the concrete, just wham, and his eyes just rolled back in his head. Whew. His knees were up by his face. I mean, I body slammed this guy. I was so mad. I was furious. So was the cop that was standing right there whenever I body slammed this guy. So the next thing I know, I'm being dragged out of this dance. And I was like, I don't want no problem, sir. No problem. No problem. We're not going to have fighting in here. Well, all he saw was me body slam this guy and he sees a girl bleeding. So I'm getting blamed for everything, right? And I tell him, I said, sir, I, I don't want any problems. No problem for me whatsoever. He said, you leave right now. 
or I'm going to throw you in jail. Well, I, I, I couldn't leave my friends, you know? I mean, I was a designated driver, but we'd come in another guy's truck, and he, dumb me, he still had the keys, and they wouldn't let me back in to say that I'd been thrown out. So here I go, sticking up for others. I've been thrown out of the dance, and I walk to the back row of this dark parking lot out in the middle of nowhere. And I sit on a tailgate. And I'm there about 45 minutes whenever I decide to give somebody else a break. Because what I figured out later was that fella that I had body slammed had three buddies. And they had been thrown out also. And they were looking for a skinny cowboy that had just body slammed somebody. And here I am sitting out in the middle of a parking lot all by myself. But see, I decided to forgive him. And so when they started walking by the truck, I took my hat off and threw it in the bed of the truck and got down by the truck and went, Bruh! as they walked by, and they said, ooh, that dude's sick. Let's keep going. <laughs> I just saved him a lot of trouble. That's all it was. Yeah, he'd already been whipped once. I didn't want to have to whip four of them. You know what I mean? Just decided to let it go. Just decided to let it go. So for the next three hours, I sit on a tailgate. Trucks are locked. <laughs> Designated driver, <laughs> already been thrown out, <laughs> and finally the dance is over, and my buddy comes out, kind of, and he said, where have you been? I said, I got thrown out like three or four hours ago. He's like, for what? And I told him, he's like, we got to go get our other buddy. He's in a fist fight up by the front door. So he pitches me the keys, right? And so anyway, I, I start the truck and I pull up to the front door and sure enough, there's my buddy. He is beating on this dude, an another guy, right? And I throw open the door and I go out and I grab my buddy by the collar and I'm trying to drag him to the truck and guess who sees me? The same police officer that had drugged me out. Now, there's fighting going on everywhere. He ignores all of that and says, what did I tell you? And he goes up and he arrests the only sober person in the whole place. So he handcuffs me. There's still fighting going on everywhere. And I'm just like, really? Seriously? But I'm not saying anything. And he sticks me in the back of the patrol car. Reads me my rights. Gonna haul me in. And then the old sheriff shows up. And he says, he looks at the deputy and he goes, what'd he do? Cop said, well, he started a fight, beat up everybody, hit a girl. And then I told him to leave. He showed back up causing problems. So I arrested him. And the old sheriff looked at me and goes, is that true, son? And I said, well, you know, that's the day that I learned that right is right even if no one else is doing it and wrong is wrong even if everyone else is doing it. And that's what being a rebel is all about. And one of the greatest rebels or the greatest rebel in the history of everything was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he lived by those, by that moniker right there, that right is right even if no one else is doing it, and wrong is wrong even if everyone else is doing it. Because what Jesus did is he did a lot of things, but the things that we're going to focus on today, the first one's in Mark chapter 3, 
where Jesus sticks up for somebody else, where he sticks up for him. In Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, it says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason, some of them being the Pharisees and teachers of religious law and scribes and stuff like that, the religious institution, okay? Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them. So he tells the guy with the shriveled hand, Stand up. Stand up. Everybody's looking. And then Jesus turns to everyone else and says, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. See, right is right, even if no one else is doing it, and wrong is wrong, even if everyone else is doing it. In verse 5, he looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, and said said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his right hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians on how they might kill Jesus. See, Jesus was just sticking up for somebody. And he knew that in sticking up for this guy, that it was going to cause him a lot of problems. But see, right is right even if no one's doing it, and wrong is wrong even if everyone else is doing it. That's what it means to be a rebel, is to do the right thing no matter what. Even if it gets you in trouble, even if it gets you thrown out, even if people start plotting against you to kill you. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was kind of an outlaw. Last week, we talked about him being an outcast. This week, we talk about him being a rebel. He went against the flow. He did what was right every single time. He didn't do what was wrong. Jesus was a rebel because he stuck up for those who couldn't stick up for themselves. It ended up costing him his life. You know, doing the right thing might, I mean, in the worst case scenario, doing the right thing might get you killed. It did for Jesus. But you know what? I'd rather die for doing what's right than live by doing what's wrong. That's a question that we all have to ask ourselves. Are you rebel enough to do what is right, no matter if nobody else is doing it? Are you rebel enough to stay away from wrong, even if everybody else is? It's the million-dollar question. I mean, it, it, happens to, it happens to you every single day. It happens to me every single day. Are we rebel enough to stick up for others and do the right thing, no matter the consequences? The second thing, Jesus, the second way he was a rebel is found in Luke chapter 23, verse verse 33. Everybody's probably heard this passage in verses 33 and 34. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by rolling dice. See, Jesus knew how to let it go. He knew how to forgive. Jesus was a rebel because he knew the true power of forgiveness. See, any weak man can carry a grudge. But it takes a man of strength to drop one. Isn't that that opposite? It takes only a weak man can carry a a grudge, but it takes a strong man to be able to let one go. 
That's what Jesus understood is that there is power in forgiveness. Even as they're nailing him to a cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is power. We have unlimited power in forgiveness. You know, there's another deal in Matthew 18. And Matthew chapter 18 is, is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. It's just very practical, applicable, and it's filled with hard stuff. And if you really want to know the meaning of doing what is right is right and wrong is wrong, go read Matthew 18. But in, in, in Matthew chapter 18, that's where uh, Jesus is, is talking about forgiving. And Peter looks up and says, Boss, should we, should we forgive people seven times? Now, you have to understand some historical context when, Pete, when Peter's saying that because the kind of the, the guidelines, the rules in Jewish law came from uh, the book of Amos where it said that you only have to forgive somebody three times, okay? You, you should forgive them once, you should forgive them twice, and you should forgive them a third time, but that's all you... I mean, if they keep on messing up, man... You're done, right? So when Peter says, boss, should we forgive somebody seven times? He's doubling it and adding one. Boss, should we forgive people seven times? Look how holy I am, boss. I'm Peter. I don't know Peter's last name or I'd say it. Peter the Rock. I don't know. But he, he, he takes the, the, the rule, <clears throat> doubles it, and adds one. It says, boss, should we forgive seven times? And Jesus looked at him and said, nope, 70 times seven. See, forgiving somebody seven times is limited power. But having the ideal of 70 times seven, now Jesus wasn't saying that, that you have to forgive somebody 490 times. He's saying there should never be a reason for unforgiveness. That's unlimited power. Forgiveness has the power to heal depression, to free ourselves from slavery, to walk and not stumble, to run and not fall. Forgiveness gives us the power to soar on wings like eagles instead of crawling on our bellies, holding on to a grudge. Think about that. Why should we forgive? Why should you forgive? Why is there so much power in that? Because I was talking to Ty. We went and looked at a ranch yesterday, and uh, we were coming back, and Ty asked me a question. He goes, what separates Christianity from everything else, from every other religion out there? And I named a couple of things. He said, you know what, see, they, they called in a bunch of, of people, and uh, they asked a bunch of theologians and preachers and everything this question, and nobody could really come up with anything, and C.S. Lewis walks in. And they ask him that question. He goes, oh, that's easy. Forgiveness of sin. The reason we forgive others is because God forgave you. If you'll accept his forgiveness, then you should pass it on. That, I mean, that, that, and that is true. I mean, we are forgiven. It's what separates everything else is the forgiveness of sins, not based upon what we did, but by what our God did. And if we're going to be Christ-like and if we're going to be godly, then we do what he did and we forgive. It's the power. The forgiveness is power. And we do that. You want to be a rebel? Stick up for somebody else regardless of the consequences. You want to do things differently? You want to be a rebel? Try forgiving instead of holding on to grudges. And you know that in this world, man, that, that is the way you, that, that's the way this world operates, man, is to hold grudges. The old sheriff asked me, 
what happened? And I told him, I said, well, I stuck up for someone that couldn't stick up for themselves. And yes, sir, I was told to leave, but I couldn't. I didn't, I, you know, I, I live in Big Lake. I live 30 or 40 miles away. I didn't have any keys because I'm the designated driver. I hadn't had a drop to drink. And so I've been out there for three or four hours sitting on the tailgate of a pickup. I didn't want any trouble with your officer. I, I, I didn't want any trouble even with the other guy. No, no hard feelings on any account. And yes, I did come back to the dance, but we were just trying to get our buddy and just go home. I was trying to get everybody home safely. And that's when your officer saw me and arrested me for coming back to the dance. The old sheriff said, you know what the rules are, don't you? And I said, well, sometimes, sir, you have to decide between the rules and what is right. And I choose the latter. And that's the third thing that Jesus would do. That's the third way Jesus was a rebel is he didn't play by the rules. And in Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 41, it says, As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in and took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that as he sat down to eat, uh, I'm sorry, his host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. Then the Lord said to him, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness, fools. Didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor and you will be clean all over. So Jesus walks in and, and, and by Jewish custom, you're supposed to wash your hands to signify that you're pure so that you can eat the food that God has provided and blah, blah, blah. Jesus just goes in. He don't wash his hands or nothing. He just starts eating. He don't wait for nobody else. And everybody's like, <gasps> right? And Jesus teaches them a great lesson. Jesus was a rebel because he didn't play by the rules. He followed God. Last week, I had a phone call from a very dear friend of mine and, and, and a mentor. That I, I won't say where he's from or anything like that, but uh, he, he's a really good friend. <clears throat> and he was pastor of one of the largest denominational churches that he belonged to in his state, the largest. And I asked him this question. I said, what percentage of today's teaching in the institutional churches, denominational churches, how much of what they teach, in your opinion, is church culture versus authentic Christianity? And he sat there for a long time and he said, I'd like to say my, my real answer is that 95% of what they teach is actually church culture, not authentic Christianity. And only 5% of it is authentic Christianity. But he said, but, but I may just, maybe that's a little harsh. So I'll say it's 90% church culture and 90% or 10% authentic Christianity. See, Jesus didn't follow church culture and customs. He didn't obey all of the little rules that a bunch of men had come up with. He didn't care about that. He cared about following God. There's nothing wrong with washing your hands before you eat, okay? There's nothing wrong with what they were doing, but they had made that as a part, like you have to do this or you're not a good Christian, right? How many times do we hear that in today's society? 
You know, it, it's okay if you believe that the King James Version is the only Bible out there. That's okay if you believe that. There's nothing wrong with washing your hands before you eat. <clears throat> There's nothing wrong with having Bible studies or, or singing worship songs, whether it's with a guitar or just with a piano and organ. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with prayer calls uh, or prayer requests, and there's nothing wrong with altar calls and programs about programs about programs. There's nothing wrong with all of that. But listen, people, that is all just church culture. It is not authentic Christianity. It's not. So if you want to believe those things, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But never mistake a church custom with authentic Christianity. And, and, and sometimes, man, I, I'm, I'm sure that either this service or next service, somebody will be like, well, blah, blah, that's, that's not right. Because people hold on to these things a lot harder. They hold on to these customs harder than they hold on to Christianity. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that stuff. But if that's what you believe, then go get you a King James Bible and read it. Man, I'm all for it. Sing hymns with a piano or with an electric guitar. I don't care. Do whatever you want to. Have your prayer meetings. Have all of this other stuff. I don't care. But don't make it a part of salvation. Don't say you have to do it. That's what religion does. Religion says you have to do it my way or you're not getting to heaven or you're not a good Christian. It's not true. If you're unsure... There is a, let's see how many words are in this, uh, four words that will help you distinguish between church culture and authentic Christianity, okay? Here it is. If you got a pen, write these down, okay? Mind ye own business, okay? It's real deep theological stuff here, okay? Mind ye own business. That's in the King James Version, by the way, so I, I love it right? Mind ye own business. If you want, you know, I, I get criticized for preaching in a hat, man. If you want to take your hat off hat, take your hat off. You know, if you want to, there, there's tons and tons of illustrations of what is church culture and what is authentic Christianity. You know, one of the, in, in America, no good Christian would ever drink alcohol. Okay. But in Spain, you can drink as much as you want. They don't care. But in Spain, no good Christian would ever smoke a cigarette. <laughs> you see what I mean? You know, somebody coming from Spain, they drink like a fish, and they think they're good Christians, but they criticize all the cigarette smokers. And here in America, we be puffing on cigarettes like they're going out of style. But, you know, we think that the, the, the Spanish are, are, are not good Christians because they drink. It's all church culture. It's all it is, man. Focus on Jesus, not these rules and stuff like that. It's all church culture, not authentic Christianity. Sometimes you have to decide between the rules and what is right. I choose the latter. The old sheriff looked at me and said, what do you do, son? I looked him in the eye and I said, I work for the Texas Department of Criminal Justice Institutional Division. I didn't look at him, but I could feel the deputy's eyes grow wide. He said... The old sheriff did. He goes, you look familiar. What's your name? I said, Kevin Weatherby. He goes, are you Sheriff Paul Weatherby's son? The deputy's eyes grew wider. One of them fell out. <laughs> I said, yes, sir. He said, why didn't you tell my deputy that? And he goes, and I said, 
He didn't ask. He didn't want to hear what I had to say, sir. Take those handcuffs off of him. I will say that it gave me a small amount of pleasure to turn around and look at him while he did it. And as he took the handcuffs off, the old sheriff told me, he said, tell your daddy, I said, hello. I said, yes, sir, I will. Then I turned around again and looked at the deputy and the old sheriff. And I said, thank y'all. And I did wink at the deputy. I shouldn't have, but I did. <laughs> I did. It wasn't right. It was, it was the first mistake of the night, okay? But being a rebel like Jesus, you know, sticking up for people, letting things go, not playing by the rules will not make your life easier. I'm telling you that right now. If you have come here today to figure out how to make all your problems go away, this is not for you. Being a rebel is not for you. Being a rebel like Jesus will not make your lives easier, but it will get you closer to authentic Christianity and what it truly means to ride for Jesus. It'll also make it just a little bit easier to look yourself in the face when you're shaving or putting on your makeup, doing your hair. Because remember, right is right even if no one else is doing it, and wrong is wrong even if everyone else is doing it. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for being who you are. It is by your name that we are unhandcuffed and set free. Help us to become a rebel like you and do what is right every single time. But knowing what is right doesn't come from our opinions and the way we see things. But right can only come from your word and it can only come from Jesus Christ. So we must know it, love it, learn it, and practice it. Not just the easy parts, but the hard parts as well. God, give us the strength to do just that and help us all grow closer to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.